nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! Welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. My name is Devin. An Independence Day point for Austin FC up in Seattle. Um, other than that, that was certainly a game of football. Uh, joining me today, Charles Peacock of the False Nine. Charles, how's today for you? Um, I, I contend that that wasn't really a game of football. Um, just like this morning's was just kind of a a, uh, a complete and utter debacle of watching both of your teams <laughs> do absolutely nothing in the attack. It was it's been a frust- it's been a frustrating twelve hours. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Seth, who knows everything, how about you? Um, I watched uh, two MLS games yesterday, one in person and this one on TV slash my phone. And I saw one real team out of four teams play a game yesterday. So at least someone can play in the MLS. Not great advertising for the league, although I did have fun with the uh, the snow game. Uh, uh, yes, no, no, more snow ga- I mean, for all the people that are like, we need to go to a European calendar. Part of me would be like, yes, it would be really fun to have multiple snow matches, but it would probably more look like League Two in England, where they postpone like two matches every week, and then they're scrambling to play a bunch of random like Tuesday matches in April to catch everyone up. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I don't love the every Saturday thing, but uh, knowing about a game like a week in advance is way worse. Yes. Uh, filling out our panel today, um, Brad, what you got going on? Um, smoking some, uh, brisket and ribs today, trying to, uh, you know, make something positive out of the weekend. Nice. I think there's a, a metaphor for throwing some meat on and waiting for something to happen, uh, for Austin FC there. And eventually it will for you, but, um, we weren't quite so lucky. Uh, where do you guys want to start? I mean, there's no goals, so we can't really talk about that. Um, this is our, uh, our second draw in Seattle, we got one in uh, season one. We won there, and uh, we've won loss. We have a weirdly good record in uh, a place that's sort of fortress MLS. Um, is that a positive we can take from that? Um, yeah, maybe. Like, I mean, this like just like the draw in twenty twenty one. That was a match where they had a goal that was taken back on VAR pretty late in that match, and we got thoroughly outplayed. I mean, I'm almost shocked that we got to point oh nine xg. I mean, we didn't have a shot in the first half of this match. And somehow we played a better first half than we did last week. What does that say about this team? Yeah, I think I saw our first shot was in the 74th minute. And I feel fully justified in randomly nodding off a couple times during that game. I watched it back to make sure I didn't miss anything, and I didn't. Calling that Valencia thing a shot is generous. Because it was really just a clearance that bounced on goal (laughs) from like 30 yards out. I'm sure that's like a big chunk of our XG, though. It was 0.1 XG, is that what I think it was? There's 0.01 or something like that. Yeah, that's I was going to say, I think we finished with 0.09. Yeah. So it's probably um, that Valencia thing and like 0.07 on the Ragoni chance at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I feel weird about this game, right? Like, in a vacuum, somebody said it last night. I heard it said we're in a vacuum, a point in Seattle is not worth complaining about. Like, I'm not going to do that because it's a good result. Big picture, man, this is brutal. Like, the attack is just – Josh Wolf is supposed to be an offensive coach. The attack is absolutely abysmal 
Um, I thought the back four played a great game. I really, and plus Stuber and, and Valencia in there too. But the back line was really good last night. Hedges played his best game in an Austin jersey. Um, I, I Cascante was fantastic. Uh, Biru, when he got in the game, Biru's got some sauce to him that I think is really interesting. Um, and it's going to help us move the ball down the wings a little more uh, as he gets more time. And it's pretty evident to me early that he's going to usurp Kolmanich uh, as a starter sooner rather than later. But even Kolmanich didn't have a bad game last night. Um, so credit where it's due on the defensive work. But my God, man, there was nothing, nothing for possession. And there was, for a team that loves to have possession, there was absolutely nothing for possession, just a ton of passing giveaways and no threat to an attack. Once or twice, it looked like we might have had a chance at a counter. But here's the thing. If you want to play defense and counterattack, you can't do that with a slow-ass roster. And that's what we have right now. There were a couple of times watching those counters where I felt like we should literally get like a high school basketball coach and just have the team run the uh, the three-man weave drill, <laughs> like on repeat. Yeah. Because like, they have no idea what they're doing. And I guess maybe this is why we don't counterattack. Because <laughs> it wasn't even like, oh, you know, you made the wrong choice. We kind of talked about that um, a little bit on, on a chance last week. But this was literally like, oh, you guys just don't even know where you're supposed to be at all. No. And, and when they get into a remote chance of space, they seem scared to shoot. Yep. Um, I, I saw that last night when Owen checked in the game, right? Uh, around the 88th minute or so, he was at the top of the box, and he had a lane to shoot, hesitated, and then passed. It's like, dude, it's nothing, nothing late. Try to steal one. What the hell? <laughs> Just take a shot. Yeah, actually, like, the entire first 85 minutes or so, the game was played in our third. But – the you know we had some offensive threat in the last you know five minutes plus extra time, <clears throat> yeah. I mean the counter to the like just try to try to hit it at a goal because you're kind of open was the Ragoni shot at the end that just was not even in the realm of being on target. Uh, I mean the thing that I think is frustrating is that the the midfield, which in theory should be one of the stronger parts of the team, without Driussi, none of the pieces seem to fit. And, and a big problem with the, the counterattacking, uh, you know, three-man weave that you guys were discussing is that none of them have any chemistry with the strikers up top when the ball does get laid off. And it just doesn't seem like any of them know. I don't know. There's just no chemistry, which is weird because all those players have been on the team. Like, besides Rubio, like, that's literally the only excuse. And it just – it just – and the frustrating part is seeing the same players make the same mistakes over and over again that we've seen happen for years. Yeah, there's no change. Like, we talked about this definitely a ton last year. Like, if we're going to be terrible, can we at least be, like, terrible in a new way or terrible in an exciting way? This was not a Yeah, bad. like, interesting terrible, would be, <laughs> interesting terrible would be great. I would love interesting terrible. Yeah, like San Jose, we might win by five or lose by five any week. Give me that any Yeah, day. I mean, I was thinking... I was thinking Luton, but yeah. Yeah, okay, I like Luton. And I mean, we kind of play, you know, a little bit of an old school, well, I mean, not intentionally. Um, like, we've been playing on the counterattack, and um, it feels a little bit like kind of your classic prop of football men, like your Sam Allardyce, your Sean Dyches, but like, without any of the attacking prowess those guys bring. Uh, where you just bunker well, in, I mean but then like, we can't even hit on a set piece or a counter. Yeah, I mean, like, there are no targets on set pieces, and there's not enough speed up front to hit on a counter. 
And so it's no surprise that like we get bunkered back because there's just there just are no outlets you, to you, be able to give us a reprieve. You have to have an attack to get us at these guys. Yes. <laughs> we had zero corners last night. Zero. <laughs> I was about to say, you, you, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm going to pivot us for a second because the Fire debuted an amazing promotion last night that I will want you guys to see what the Austin counter should this to be. So the Fire have a new promotion this season that if the Fire get – there are five key ingredients of a Chicago hot dog. If the Fire get five corners in a game, everyone gets a free Portillo's hot dog. What should be our Austin FC, we need five quarters of the game instead of for fans? That's better than five free wings at Pluckers. Ooh, that's a we good. We can answer this later. I'll let you guys marinate on it for a little bit. But I think that's a very relevant point. Of We had zero freaking corners last night. I was thinking we could do something with queso. Are you going to do we want to start the whole – do we want to start the holy war of what goes into queso? Because I don't think we want to do that with our fan base. It might be more interesting than talking about the game, but uh, I don't think we want to dive into that. Maybe we could do, uh, if we I mean, get three about, shots on goal, just, we get the, the trio sampler. What if we lower the bar to four and then we have street tacos? So you have your yeah. shell, your onion, your cilantro, and your and your meat. I mean, if there's cheese in there to go five. Well, That's where you get your there, you there you go. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to strategize, and we're going to get a knockoff version of Paul Ariola to run down the wings, kick the ball into a guy's shins for a corner that we're going to do nothing with, just so we can all get street tacos. I'd be fine with that. I like this plan. Deal. This is better than the that's direction. a great plan. Yeah. That's, way more progress. <laughs> that's way more forward progress than we had last night as a team, so that's fine. <laughs> we did have a couple chances at the end, though, and... Is Rigoni getting worse? Like, I, I don't know if this is just in my head because I was just like, you were so goddamn frustrating that I, like, forgot about it in the off season. Or... So, so I think one of the big problems is that without Drew, you see, to take gravity and defensive attention in the middle, everything relies on everybody else. And it didn't help him that he doesn't have... I, I don't feel like Rigoni ever gets any, like like help or anybody to play off of in like a one, two, or like even like having like Coleman overlap would be great. Like, I think that was one of the good things about Vero was he did actually like make some effort to get forward and to, and to, mm-hmm. and to help link up. But it's, it's tough when you're just kind of on an Island by yourself against, you know, at least one defender in front of you trying to make something happen. And like, mm-hmm. that just was what he was stuck trying to do the entire game because Austin didn't give him any support. I think it's arguable we played Rigoni in the wrong position last night. Um, he, he's probably closer to a true 10 than anything in that starting lineup that we had. And if it were me, and we're, we're going to bunker and we're going to play counterattack, like we had the plan last night, CJ Fodry gets the start on the left to add some young, to add some speed and some legs, and you put Rigoni in the middle at the 10. I, I, I I would have. I'd also put Gallagher up at the right wing for that because then you're at least. Well, you had Obreon in the starting lineup. Or willing to counter. You had Obreon in the starting lineup, though. Yeah. Like on the right, that was plenty of speed and plenty of willingness to run. That that wasn't the problem, right? So uh, Gallagher the right back is still the, the slot for me there. But Ragoni, you, you mentioned it, Drew. He needs Drewsy to play off of badly. But last night, he had nothing to play with. I will say now that some of the touches he had were terrible. Like the, the cross to 
no one inside the six was, I have no idea what he's thinking there. Um, I didn't mind the two shots. I know everybody's on his ass about the last two shots. Man, he always put the ball towards the net, which is something we didn't do all game. So at that point, I don't care. I'm just glad somebody's trying to score a goal. Um, yeah, I mean, we're but, all complaining about how the team doesn't shoot enough, and then somebody shoots, and we complain about that. Yeah, I'm not going to complain yeah. about that. Finally, somebody <laughs> took a game I mean, shot. also, I mean, also the conditions were bad. It's not like Seattle was like super had an easy time with what was going no. on around it. When you look at their total shots versus shots on goal, like, I, I mean, you, you do have to give them credit for at least trying to do something and make something happen. At the same time, like, yeah. I, I, I think he gets unfairly criticized for not being as good as Driussi. And but I think part of the problem is that Ragoni isn't the kind of like goal scoring or like central player who knows how to make the game about him the way Triusi does. No, that's fair. That's fair. And you got the two other thing too is that was new turf last night. I don't know if y'all knew that, but it played slower than previous Seattle turf fields. Um, And in the rain, which should have sped it up a little bit, the rain actually didn't do that at all, seemingly. I don't know, man. Like, I think Ragoni, he's easy to pick on because of his salary and everybody just expects, like you said, they expect so much more out of him. We have so many bigger problems than Emiliano Ragoni on this team right now. Um, You can't expect the left winger to create everything when you can't get the ball past the damn midfield because your midfielders can't hold possession. Midfielders can't hold possession, so then the backs start bypassing them and hitting them up forward. And yeah. we don't have anybody who can really hold the ball up like Rubio tried. Yeah. Um, he did get shoved into a bench for uh, for a little bit of his effort. So um, that, for me, was the most, like, thing that happened in the first half was a guy throwing him into the bench. Yeah, Josh Wolf getting a yellow card was fun. I thought that yeah. was okay. He had a look that, I don't know if it was the, like, the facial hair, the tired look, the kind of jumping up out of his seat and getting a yellow card or the changes in the starting lineup, but it looked like he might've gotten a, uh, a talking to by the higher ups in the middle of the week. Maybe I'm being optimistic. I think you're being very, very optimistic. Thanks, Seth. So I, I, I'm sure that he got, I'm sure he got to talk about it, but I don't, I still don't think his seat is anything but like pretty cold still. Like, I think, um, I think he's probably feeling some pressure because of just, he's, I mean, also, keep in mind, like, he's having to watch this shit, too. And so, like, he can't be happy about, like, watching his team play this way when he wants to be a more offensive attacking coach and and play that style. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to detour just a second because since we're talking about Josh. And we, we beat this horse a lot about, man, he's, he's not good enough. He's not performing enough. And I said this. We still will night. until he's fired. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or we are somehow a top four team in this conference. In the last 50 games of MLS play, just straight MLS play. How many points have we gotten? 50? 55 zero. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like 58 or something like that. It's I was gonna I was gonna say 56. That yeah, is the number. 56, it is 56 okay. points in 50 games. So just slightly over one point a game. At what point is it not good enough for management? It has to be start has to be the real question now. Because you can't just sit here and say that's a small sample. 50 is not that small of a sample size. That's a season and a half, damn near two, two full seasons of soccer for MLS play. I'm not, And I'm not even including Open Cup and Leagues Cup and everything else in here. I don't know. I, I would have thought with how heavily we missed the playoffs last year and 
bringing in kind of a new uh, sporting director and the Project Roto or whatever the hell you want to call it, they would have gone, okay, new thing, bye. But, hey, we don't make those decisions. We don't uh, have your uh, your 1850 or 1849 jellyfish. Uh, I don't know. All we can do is try to figure out when they're going to change it. There's four game, four home games of the next five that we play. So out of these 15 possible, and the one road game's at Orlando. Out of these 15 possible points, if you don't pick up nine, you're dead. Dead in the water. The problem is I don't see nine points on this, this schedule coming up here. Um, so and you would think pretty good last night. I've, I've already written next week off as a loss. Philadelphia is going to crush. Uh, or we would ex- well, I would actually not be surprised if we like pick something off Philly, but Philly, on paper Philly they has should to go crush to Pachuca us right before they play us. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we get something out of that at Orlando. No hope at all. Well, no, Orlando is a weird team. Like they got to play Tigres, and like they're going to be on this. Like we've. Got, I mean, I'm a little disappointed that City didn't beat Houston and continue on in CCC themselves. We want teams to be as exhausted as possible, and they look at our hopeless side and be like, "Oh, they're terrible. We could run out our B side and still at least get a point against them." I, I was reading a little bit. Um... <laughs> before the game, kind of like, hey, how are you feeling about the game and stuff like that? And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to take a draw for this. And then I kind of looked at our schedule and I went, yeah, that's the next two or three months. <laughs> Outside of Copa Tejas games, I think almost every single one on our schedule, I'm just like, yeah, take a draw there. That'd be nice. So it's, yeah. not, it's not optimistic. We're not like playing but- great, great soccer that people want to watch and then like, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot or something. But also, I mean, but also, like, go ahead. Oh, I was just—I was going to say, like, even my like Kansas City, you got off to a terrible start. Like, in MLS, like, you just need to get hot for a month or two, and you can still sneak your way into the playoffs and do something. Yeah, Kansas and I think City, that's kind of the. And, and yeah. to me, like, that's kind of the plan this year. Like, I mean, Roto's talks so much about summer and like when that becomes available, and it seems like we're keeping a lot of spots and kind of like money dry of like being able to make a move if needed. And I mean, that's really the only hope we have is that in some and during the summer transfer window, somehow things improve. Yeah, the the talking about the league right now, the one solace you can take is everyone has dropped points already two weeks into this into this whole thing. There's not a single team that hasn't has that has picked up all their points. So the parity, quote unquote, is real. I just don't think we're seeing we're we're near the top end of the parity. That's the problem. We are the wooden spoon um front runners at this point, even if there are other teams who haven't gotten points. Yeah. How long do we think that's uh, going to like, last? I'm <laughs> trying to figure out who would even – maybe Toronto? But Toronto – they have John Herdman as their coach now. John Herdman has figured out – yeah, he didn't do great at the World Cup, but he got Canada to the World Cup. Like, yeah. He won back a cap qualifying. Yeah. Like, John Herdman is a good coach who will get things – like. They look competitive. I, I don't know if I'm going to watch too much of the New England-Toronto game, which kicks off at about an hour here. But, like, Toronto's one of these teams that, like, they're not going to be the worst team of the East this year. I can yeah, be confident say that, saying that. Yeah, I mean, 
I think it's pretty likely the wooden spoon comes out of the West because, like, I just don't see San Jose no. or Colorado doing anything here's, either. Here's why I don't say that. The West is way more even than the East. And a team like NYCFC, who's looked rough the first two weeks, they're going to take a lot of losses in the East. So I think it's going to be somebody, whoever the, the bottom, bottom end of the East ends up being, is going to take the spoon. Because there's enough points to be picked up in the West to where it'll stay just above the line on that spirit spec. Oh, see, I think the West is more like a bunch of teams who are like competent and good, and they'll beat up on like the bottom four or five teams in the West the whole year. Oh, I... But like in, in, in that group, I think there's going to be a lot of like dropping points every week, and it's going to change around like it kind of did last year. But I, I don't know. I, I, I just think there's more depth of like good teams in the West than like, or at least like competent to good teams in the West. Than oh, the I think the East is way stronger than the West. The East is way strong. No, like Brad is right here. The East is way stronger than the West, just top to bottom at this point. Yeah. But that, that yep. and that's why I think one of the teams that ends up at the bottom of the East is going to end up with the spoon. They're just, they're going to, they have more opportunities to take losses than teams in the West will that can squeeze out a draw or a win. But like, there's but there's no one so so bad in the East that they're going to lose to everyone. No, I mean, they're not going to lose to everyone. Right? But I look at NYCFC right now, and I'm not seeing much there. Yeah, but it's also their city football group. As I just watched Girona give up a goal here, but um, <laughs> like they will go and get to a point here where like. I mean, then again, like, we should get better this summer. But, like, yeah. it's going to be a really boring podcast if we just keep talking for four months about how we should get better this summer. And that's not really – that goal against Girona shouldn't count. That was a handball on Mallorca, but I don't know. <laughs> um, Honestly, your live commentary of other games is kind of more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 really. that says everything where we're at right now. We should, just, we should have live commentated during the Manchester game this morning, honestly. <laughs> I would have gotten more views. <laughs> I mean, we probably could – I thought we could have gotten like 115 views. It would have been great. Yeah. I want to do a uh, live watch along of me doing the Mark Goldbridge watch along. Yeah. Did anybody, did anybody think there were any, so I want kind of wanted to bring this up because like the league, so the league put out a, a press release propaganda, propaganda piece about the replacement refs not being any worse than like the regular refs. So did anybody feel as though like, I don't know. Has anybody felt like there has been a like very demonstrable difference? Yeah, yes. Kansas City last night. Did you? Okay, watch I haven't watched that. So what, I didn't. So, watch, I didn't get a chance to watch that one. It's the ninety third, ninety fourth minute of four minutes of extra time. A ball goes out on the sideline, clearly off of Philadelphia. So it should have been Kansas City's throw in. They're up one nothing. Kansas City is. Ball gets ruled off of uh, Kansas City instead. Philly throw in. Philly works it down for a corner, corner kick, goal. Tie game. And then Johnny Russell goes to protest, and the ref is like, I can't speak to you, despite the fact that Johnny Russell is sporting Kansas City's captain. Yeah. Maybe he was just saying he doesn't understand Scottish. Between that and the, the, the second yellow last week in the Galaxy game, I mean, those are four, oh. points, those are four points combined that have shifted due to bad refereeing calls late in games. And, and the game I was at last night, I was sitting right above the corner kick flag, and there were three goal kicks slash quarter kicks that went the wrong way that were obviously visible. But the ARs were just struggling to run down. Like, they're not in shape. And if yeah. these referees aren't in shape, they can't see a simple goal kick from a corner kick. 
And also, we're now getting to a point where Pro, because there were more matches consolidated, especially in the 7.30 window um, this past week, that they had to use more scab VARs who are not experienced using VARs. The Chicago Fire got a completely undeserved penalty last night that was called back 90 seconds after the run of play, where the FC Cincinnati player gets all ball and they go back and view Like, no one in the stadium was, none of the players, none of the fans were demanding a penalty kick, and they just awarded a penalty. Yeah, I, it's I been know, all... like this is this is atrocious, but I mean, the, if it works I mean, to benefit Inter Miami. It's good for the league. Yeah, and let's not forget about what happened with Miami's refereeing yesterday. A few yeah. hours before kickoff, they had to change referees because it became apparent that the referee assigned to the game had pictures of himself in an Inter Miami kit online, and wasn't <laughs> smart enough to take him down ahead of time. This oh is no, the part you know that bothers every... me. <laughs> I mean, every scab, every scab ref has been, like, going through their social media making sure that, like, those photos are disappeared now. Yeah, send them to private. Jesus fucking Christ. But the problem, I will say, even if you send it to private, the U.S. soccer community is such a small place that all these people know Somebody each other. So that even if you send it to private, they're going to find it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, I, I think the, PS, the PSRA has not done a good job of raising their leverage outside of supporter groups, really, right now. And even that has not been as effective as it needs to be. But as they're getting to a point there, like, they know these people. And I think their private investigators or whoever else are just public investigators of their own members finding out things is their most effective tactic right now. But <laughs> I think we could have a year-long lockout of the refs. Like, I don't see, like, if MLS is not going to put out a better offer here, Unless the like, and I don't think this quite gets to a Joe Biden intervention level. Like, I don't see how this gets solved. Yeah, unless every FG in this league does what the Austin FGs have kind of started to do, which is boycott something, not boycott the match, but at least boycott concessions where it start hitting people in the wallet. Nothing's going to change because MLS feels no pressure to change. Well, are you protesting the refs or U.S. Open Cup? Like, I don't. No, no, no. There's two. Yes. There's two. Yeah. Yes. Protest but how do they know? So, well, so I'm not – well, that's actually simple for me. For the refs, I'm not buying concessions. I'm still going to games. I'm just not buying concessions and making it loud about who we were supporting with the refs. Open Cup, I'm not going to League's Cup, and I'm not giving my League's Cup tickets to, away if I get them. Like, if we get them in our season ticket package, I'm not giving them to somebody, and I'm not selling them. Those seats will stay empty. I think that's, that's the plan right now, too. That's the protest. When do we find – when do we find out if Austin um, hosts? Oh, we, we do. Yeah. Have, uh, yeah, we FC2. FC2 yeah. hosts the U.S. Open Cup. Yes, FC2. Right. Yeah. A League's Cup, the schedule should be out sometime in April, uh, Charles. Okay. Wow, that's pretty far in advance for MLS. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean they need to sell tickets to Mexican fans. Uh, good yeah. point. <laughs> well, I mean, in theory, a lot of, uh, in theory, a lot of the fans are going to have to make travel arrangements, so that makes sense. I, it's just always weird to think of like anything MLS does as being like even halfway competent. Yeah, no, it, it's not normally, but yeah, I've been hearing April for confirmation of the sites, and also like they need to book wherever these because um, like Rayados is going to have a base in the U.S. Like, yeah, if you're, they're going to base out of Austin or Houston or wherever they're going to base out of, like you probably need to book the facilities, book the hotels, all that kind of stuff if you're going to be staying there for like a month. But that, that involves logic, reason, and rationality. So um, things that are in very short supply in uh, U.S. soccer slash MLS slash pro. No, didn't they? Like, every time I read something about this referee lockout, it sounds like both sides are just getting more pissed off and unreasonable. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think like, 
like the, the refs are asking for a lot. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, I, I'm so used to in my day job of collective bargaining agreements that are nine and ten figures. I'm not used to these seven figure collective bargaining agreements. But the refs voted down a proposal and asked for more than their initial proposal. That's not the way you bargain. No. Both sides are going further apart here. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm sympathetic to the refs. I've been helping organize things. Like, I am not against the ref union. I want them to succeed here. But, like, you also have to set up reasonable terms for everyone to succeed on. And neither, like, when you're already $2 million apart and both sides are going further apart, this seems like we're heading towards a year-long lockout. Yeah. I mean, it, when that initially broke, I was very, like, pro-ref. And now I'm... I'm still very pro ref on this one, at least on the like negotiation terms, but it doesn't seem like they're trying to, you know, lend an extra hand or anything. I, I just want to point out, Seth, you said the beginning of this was a squabble over $2 million, roughly, yes. right? That is fucking peanuts in this league. That's a I'm commercial so for Messi. Yeah, Tell Messi well, we to go to, to Outback Steakhouse. $2 million bucks know- right there. We know that Austin FC, based on some data that we found, makes over $8 million a year on 17 home matches and concessions. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Portland just splashed, what, $8, $10 million in a transfer? Are they about, are they about they're, to? No, they're about to splash $15 million 15. on a transfer. Cincinnati just transferred, just did, uh, Cincinnati, Charlotte just did $8 million. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for about a um, It's fucking $2 million, over 30 clubs. It's less than 100 grand a club. Or twenty nine clubs. It's less than a hundred grand a club. Like fucking cut the check at two million dollars at that point. It's less than a hundred grand a club when the clubs are selling twenty dollar beers. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I realize not every club has all the money in the world, but even still, it's literally a minimum senior roster salary per club at the beginning of all this, and you're squabbling over two million. Will if you listen to Will Bruins. 30-minute con- conversation the other day that he had with the Sounders guys, he made an interesting point. And Seth, you're closer to a lot of this. You probably understand it more than we definitely do. But he said a lot of times with these negotiations, it's about MLS just wanting to win the negotiation. Yep. yep. You know, damn the torpedoes. Yep. 100% believe that. And that's what's happening. No, that, if, if this is yeah, over $2 million, it's it exactly like. what this is. If it's, if it's $2 million, it's exactly what this is. If you want to be a big boy league in the U.S. sports landscape, no big boy league in the U.S. sports landscape is going to let their fucking officials walk over two million fucking dollars. Like but fucking Roger is... Goodell would write a personal check for that. Actually, that's a good question. But like I have on multiple times on this podcast called for more public release of MLS's financial information. I don't even think we know how much a lot of MLS senior leadership is making on this. And what they've done is interesting. They've thrown up Nelson Rodriguez, who's one of their vice presidents, who's the guy um, here in Chicago that's known for tanking the fire um, and then managed to get promoted to the New York Central Office as being the spokesperson on this and on Open Cup. So it's like, oh, we found our scapegoat for both of these things. It is just like, wow. Just like what decision-making is happening? Like the Open Cup thing, I'm going to pivot there a little bit. Like the Open Cup has brought on new sponsors this year. They've got Marriott signed up as a sponsor. They've got Pepsi signed up as a sponsor. Like they've got, they're getting real sponsors for the Open Cup this year. There's going to be more money involved. And we're going to have 
eight MLS teams, and a few of them are teams that are openly going to play their next pro teams anyway. So we just gave LAFC two a three round bye in the Open Cup. Like, give me a break. This system well, and, makes no freaking sense. The, the sponsors need to be putting it putting pressure on yeah. the league at this point. Yeah, you know, saying yeah, hey, that's look, really the only answer at this point. Yeah, the sponsors have to put pressure on the league. We're paying all this money, and now I'm getting less exposure for what I'm paying for than what I when I signed on at the beginning. Like you need Yeti to push on Austin FC and say, "What am I getting out of this? My sponsorship when you're taking the games away from me?" Like, it's stupid that they're not doing that, but they're probably not paying attention enough and don't care. No, and I think with MLS too, you have to factor in that these are a lot of the same dipshits that run US soccer, and anybody who's ever been around US soccer knows what a clusterfuck that is. So well, I was going to say that, and I was also like how many NFL owners there are. Mm, that's a good point. But NFL owners should understand this. They understand how bad the 2012 ref lockout was for the league. But they were – here's the thing. If the fail Mary hadn't happened, I think that lockout goes on a lot longer, though. Like, yeah. they – like, I, I I bet if you asked the owners about that, they would have said, had that one call been right, we could have made it the season. Yeah. The fact that it happened on Monday Night Football is huge. The first time a call cost Messi a goal or a game on national TV that's not behind a paywall is when this show get fixed. Yeah, or in front of like 80,000 fans at Arrowhead or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it would have to be an event like that. Did Did anybody think that the – I'm sorry, I'm going to try to get us back on track. Did anybody think the foul on Danny Pereira in the box was a penalty? I thought that was pretty obviously not. Like, no, it was not. It was a – it, it, it was a penalty in the sense that, oh, my God, this is the only way we're ever going to score. So, <laughs> yes, I, I call that a slack penalty, not a real penalty. I thought yeah. it was a penalty in the uh, same way that I think it was a foul anywhere else on the field. Therefore, it's a penalty. Like, I, I, I hate the concept. I think we've talked about this before. I hate the concept and the idea that it has to be extra foul for it to be a penalty if it's in the box. That's bullshit. That's not the way the rule is. The rule is if it's a foul in the box, it's a penalty. He got pushed down from behind. That's a penalty. See, I don't think it was behind. I think the yeah, defender's I think it's arm is in front of him, and then Danny turns his shoulder to look like it's behind. But I think the defender's in front of him. Here's the question. Do you think that gets called a foul outside the box? I don't know. But, like, but then again, we also had one on the other end uh, later in the match oh, that was yeah, the more likely a clear penalty. Are you talking about the handball? Uh, well, you the handball, and then you had the elbow there as well later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought both teams got away with a penalty last night. So I thought it evened out. But, yes, my opinion on the Danny thing is he got fouled, and that should have been a penalty. And I think this is sort of – we were talking about the – do you notice any difference with the refs a little bit? It's things like what you were talking about where I don't know if, like, big calls I'm noticing them missing more, but, like, small stuff like that was a foul. No, it wasn't. Um, like you kind of mentioned, that was clearly a corner kick. Why is it a goal kick? And those are going to start catching up when we get this stuff like, okay, but that was a foul. That was a handball. And then the people who aren't trained on VAR are going to be like, I'm not stepping in on that. Or, I mean, I have – it's much harder to do than it has been in past seasons because the MLS VAR um, Twitter account is no longer tweeting out every time that they do things on VAR. But there was on average last season, I think it was between three and four calls that would go to VAR. Last week it was 14. I believe this week it was over that three to four range once again, and we still have another match later today. 
Do you mean like they check it or like they send the guy to the monitor? Well, that the way they said when they send the person to the monitor, it went up okay. to. And then, as what well, we've heard is that the referees, if the um, if Dallas tells them to overrule it, that they have to overrule it, which is crazy. But that's where we're at right now. Yeah, they made a bad system worse, which isn't surprising because it's MLS, but could be worse. We'll see how. But um, <laughs> we uh, never never underestimate their ability to make things worse. Yeah, I didn't think any of them were penalties, to be honest. Um, you know, maybe I was a little I was a little worried about the hedges handball when it happened live, um, just as I have seen like kind of similar plays get called, but I didn't think it was a comment. Yeah, they were kind of all in the if it gets called on the field, it's not getting overturned thing for me. But I didn't think any of them were like a go to the monitor and fix it type of thing. Yeah, um, that's fair. I guess since I guess since we're doing the boring thing and going back and talking about the actual fucking game. Um, <laughs> I actually like it felt like the entire game like I mentioned earlier was kind of played in our own third but it didn't feel like there were as many clear-cut chances as what as against Minnesota because like that Minnesota game first 20 minutes they probably should have had four goals and um, you know Seattle had a lot of shots but they were kind of like speculative or we had a guy blocking it and I wonder if some of that was a little bit of the grass playing slower like you were talking about Brad um but it didn't seem like there was a guy standing on the edge of the six heading the ball at Stuber, like bang, 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 repeatedly like it did against Minnesota. We did a really good job of playing compact down low. Um, you know, so like you were saying, there were shots, but they were they were largely outside the 18 that were on the edge of the 18 that were coming in and they would find players to go wide or whatever the case may be, find defenders. So that's where, that's like I said, if there's a positive I take out of the game last night, that was one of the best defensive games we have played in a long, long time, top to bottom. Yeah, I think the only big lapse I noticed that was recurring was there were a few times Gallagher pinched in a little bit too much, and they had that floated ball to the back post that was open. That's yeah. so we got the uh, a couple other chances. But, I mean, that'll happen. Like the Rui Diaz rocket at the end that should have gone in? Yeah. That's the one I had in mind, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are we looking at this game differently? Like, obviously, we're going to look at it differently if we lose versus a draw, but are we, like, gnashing of teeth, rending of garments, wolf out, wolf out, if we end up losing that game? No, I mean, I think we're all of us are wolf out at this point. Like, it is, you'd have to run off probably, what, four to six consecutive wins with a real coherent game plan that is working and adjusting for us to not be at that point? Is that where you guys are at? Because that's where I'm at. Well, we got a five-game five month this month. If we somehow pulled out 10 plus points, I would calm down on it. Yeah, I think it's it's a degree thing for me where, and I said this last year when results weren't going our way, it's a style of play and a, um, like, does the team look like they want to be out there type of thing a lot of the time, uh, unless like, you know, dumb luck on a goal. Like I think the perfect one uh, was the uh, Alex ring against uh, New England last year, where he just uncorks an absolute galasso at the end of the game to save us a draw, but like we got our asses kicked, so. That doesn't change my mind on the coach a ton. I mean, you can make that same case about Ethan Finley's goal against at Seattle last year too. Um, I mean, at this point, like I, I don't think there's anything that. Uh, well, let me rephrase. I think the team's bad. I don't think the roster is good enough to be a winner. I also don't think Josh is a good coach. I'm not sure anything could change either of those opinions with the current roster and the current coaching makeup. And just seems like I'm, I'm all in for for team tear tear it all down. 
here's here's where it's going to, I think, really ramp up. Drew C's probably back next week. Probably going to play 30, 40 minutes is my guess. If we continue... You, you, don't, you, don't, think he's, you don't think he starts back just to prove people are like... I feel like some of these players, like, if he can start, he will start. And because we have no better options. I, I hope we don't just rush him back into the starting lineup. I mean, he's the most important player on the team. As much as we need him, that would be insane to me. Yeah. Um, so if we get Drusy back and we still look this anemic on offense, there at that point, there is no defensible position for Wolf. And I don't think there is one now in the first place because we looked like this last year with Drusy. But with the new players, with Rubio, with Obreon, hopefully giving you a little more speed and a little more creativity out there. And if Drusy comes back and we still can't score, Jesus, man, it's it's just going to get louder. And rightfully so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been kind of advocating, you know, since early last year. It's, for me, almost like a, a pull-a-goalie in hockey approach where, you know, you got 20 guys out there who are dogging it and playing like shit. Like, can't replace all of them. So, <laughs> at least not in a one window. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of fine with Team Terra down play the new guys, play the kids to the extent we can play the kids because MLS is stupid fucking rules. Yeah. Uh, let's just see something different. Put it in all out attack mode, all out counter, you know, try gig and press, do something different. And if it doesn't work fine, whatever, we're still in the spot we were before, but like different shows that you recognize it's a problem. And the fact that we keep doing the same shit just makes me feel like Josh is perfectly fine with what's going on. I mean, he he is. I mean, if you look yeah, at the I substitutions <laughs> last night, like all the substitutions were like for life. Oh, I wrote them like, in before the game, by the way. What the subs would be yeah, and when. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can absolutely do that with with the way that Wolf coaches. Like, it's very. Um, he is not going to deviate from what his plan is, and yeah, no matter what else is going on, and like it's very clear that like it, it was very clear to me even early on in the game that the goal was to not allow Seattle to score more than it was to try to get three points. And, and you know, uh, I think it was Seth who referenced the, the Spanish commentary. What My understanding of it from people I've talked to who listened was that, you know, they felt like Austin didn't have a desire to win. And going back to, you know, Will Bruin's comments about mentality and even, you know, reports last year of uh, Diego telling his LA teammates that Austin's going to fold if you, if you push them. Like, there is a core problem of mentality and belief in the club and in the roster and that comes from the coach yeah you mentioned the subs last night what i'm going to ask a roster question why in the hell are we wasting our limited ability to call players up for emergency matches and then not using them or even in salam azafaro's case not even putting them in the 20 so so uh so brad there there is a little bit of there that we did not waste them in a sense so for the four um short-term windows you can only actually appear in two of those matches okay so that what we used last night from val noel and from antonio goez is those were their two of their four appearances where they're allowed to be in the 20 but not necessarily make it into the 11 and like they were very clear like if someone gets hurt they are coming in and that's why they're coming in at this point so like that was fine what happened with Sal is much more unclear to me. And maybe we sort of get that back if he doesn't make the 20. Like that that part is like, did he just like, do we just like pay for it? What do you have to pay for a plane ticket? We have a charter plane. They can just throw him on the plane. But like, 
I, I don't understand what Sal's issue was there. And that's someone who knows way more about MLS rules than I do. So like probably 400 people uh, have to answer that one. Yeah, the the other question, the other point I think too about subs, if you brought them out last night, and I get you might not want to use the appearance, whatever the case might be. If you're trying to steal a game late and, and score a goal, and we started getting some movement on the counterattack, isn't Val Noel a better option than Josh or than Owen Wolf at the end there? Yes. Why, why are we not putting the creative, faster player out there in the ten spot instead of putting Josh, instead of putting Josh's kid out there? And I'm sorry, I, I, I hate to be that dismissive of Owen because I don't think Owen's a bad technical player, but that was the wrong sub to make if you're actually trying to score a goal. Yeah, you referenced uh, Ragoni as our, you know, closest thing to a 10 we had. And I was like, well, you got Noel on the bench. I understand probably not wanting to start him, but I'm with you. You get to 75, 80 minutes. Like, throw him out there, man. Yeah, why not? <laughs> we got to lose. And yeah, I, th- I think we've done the Owen stuff to death. Like, I was very defensive of people being like, oh, he's only on the field because his dad's the coach. At first, as soon as Josh started chucking him in immediately when he came back from the Youth World Cup. I was just like, oh, this isn't good, and it hasn't gotten better. So I'm pretty on record with this about thinking that Owen's career is not going to do well hanging around with Dad. Oh, of course not. But then again, Tyler's career got away from Dad and hasn't gone much better either. Wasn't he scheduled to, like, or is he loaned back or something to a team in Europe and this summer? That never happened. So, I mean, he was in Belgium. He came back to Atlanta. I believe he is still with, um, yeah, he's with Atlanta United. Okay. He was just on loan at Beverly. Yeah, because yeah, he got into the match last week against Columbus for them. Yeah. But he's been like a marginal role player, which is kind of disappointing if you're someone like that. I don't know. No, uh, I, mean, uh, I guess we have to San next year. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was just saying, we have to remember that like most soccer players don't work out. Yes. <laughs> We have to remind ourselves of that, but like it is exceedingly rare to even get to this point in your career. And even you see how many players in this roster fail on a continuous basis. Yeah, he, Tyler is probably going to be the Jared Stroud for the San Diego team next year. <laughs> yeah, still a professional player. He's <laughs> doing yeah, all right. I mean, I'd rather live in San Diego than Atlanta. Yeah, are we going to have to protect CJ in that draft? God, we better. Uh, doesn't he have some weird, like, GA roster protection thing? Uh, I think that expires after two years, unless we sign him to do a three-year deal. I have to double-check on that. Okay, yeah. It's not a problem we have to solve today. Yeah. Speaking of problems we haven't solved, ah, segue to get us back on track. Um, we all bitched and moaned about Zardes starting the first game of the season. Rubio came out and started yesterday. Um, Zardes came on as a sub, obviously, as we referenced Zardes was worse, but Rubio didn't do much. So I don't know if we need to, if that moved the needle on who should start or not for anyone. I don't think, I think you could have Erling Holland starting at striker for us, and it's not going to matter until we get a midfield that can get the ball to them. Yeah, that's kind of where I I'm at, especially watching that game. Well, also, like, I thought Seattle did a really good job of shutting down, like, passes into Rubio, and they kind of marked Danny out of the game, which I think was part of, like, the, the disconnect that Brad's talking about. But I thought their midfield did a, did a good job of kind of controlling that area. 
Yeah, I've noticed that more and more too. Um, a lot of like, I don't know if this is like a regression from Danny or teams just marking him out and we haven't figured it out yet, but I've been noticing that more and more like into the back half of last year. Well, Josh said after the game last night uh, in Phil West quotes this morning that they were playing Danny as a 10. In what world is Danny a 10? I was watching that game. He didn't look like a 10 to me, but. <laughs> but that, that's the position they tried about last night. And they were trying to put, like, we've all been wanting him pushed higher up the field, but none of us think he's the guy that you want at the 10 spot ever. Um, So is it that Danny was getting marked out of the game or is it that Danny's playing a position that he's not really qualified to play? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. I, don't, I, I feel like a lot of I these mean, are going to be like, yes I, answers. <laughs> I mean, to me, like those, those kind of go hand in hand. Like at, at a certain point, you have to understand your importance of providing play to the team and understand your, um, your own gravity with the defense and how to try to use your movement as a way to create spaces for others. And I don't think that that's, uh, and, and this is not a fault on Danny because it's the position he's not used to playing, but I don't think that's something that he's, that he quite gets at this level yet. Whereas like, you'd see like somebody like Driussi who, you know, in order to get the ball will come back deeper or go out wider because he knows that he's, adjust- he's forcing the defense to adjust to his own movement to try to create space. Yeah. Also noticed too, like our back lines playing deeper, but I don't know if that's just like we're getting smacked around. So that's sort of natural part of the play or if it's actually strategic. I feel like the fullbacks are playing deeper. Yeah, definitely. But maybe. And that kind of, and that kind of takes away some of the point of having like a Kolmanich and a Gallagher over, over, over on both sides. Yeah, I thought Kalmanich has been very defensive the first couple of games, but I didn't know if that's just sort of like feeling it out, coming back from an injury or what. Or if it's a tactical thing or what. Or he's just not in great shape yet. Yeah. It it feels tactical because Josh has openly said that they stress defense in the offseason. But like I said earlier, I I think we're seeing enough out of Biru early that it's – not going to take long for Biru to take over that starting spot. How long do you think that's going to take? Two more weeks. Two more weeks. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was definitely have... going to say like by the end. I, I was thinking he'll definitely start by the end of March. Okay. Another decent question for you guys. Um, by the end of March, will Johan Valencia be suspended for yellow card accumulation? Uh, it will be. I'm going to put it on the St. Louis match, which is match what eight of the season. So I'm saying he's going to get a yellow card in five of the first seven matches. So two down. Okay. So three of the next five. I'm I'm kind of teasing because I thought he was really good, and I'm glad we played like an actual defensive defensive midfielder, um, and it obviously helped. I think in in shielding the back line a little bit, but. Um, he made it for a while. He made it in the second half. Uh, but I just keep wondering about this. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I was confused I... for a second. I was confused for a second. I forgot that St. Louis away is the eighth match. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's 50-50. Like, I, I think it's an even money bet in Vegas. Okay. <laughs> that might be a fun prop bet if we can find it. 
I don't I, I don't think anyone is putting prop bets on this because like the level of sickness <laughs> that you need to get for yellow card like I don't even think of the EPL that you can bet on that, but maybe you can. Um you can bet on whether a player will be yellow card in a single yeah, game, but I don't know about like, suspensions. Yeah, like where you're gonna get suspended. That's like that's next level stuff. Yeah. I, here's, here's the interesting question for me. Valencia's played really well. I think in that defensive midfield, that true defensive midfield role that he's been asked to do. And that's what he's been best at since he's been here. We tried to make him into more possession based because that's what we do. Um, when Jerusi's back, who's your starting midfield? Who's the odd man out? Because I don't think Alex Ring has shown us enough to justify staying in the lineup right now. But neither has Danny Pereira at this point. We just know no, what but, he can do. I, just I, a pick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would prefer Ring to be subbed out, but I expect Danny will be the one that goes. Uh, I think I would leave Ring out there solely because if stuff starts to go sideways, he's more likely to pull out some leadership. Come on, rah, 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 guys. I don't know how likely he is, but I think he's more likely than Danny. Yeah, see, I, I think that, I don't know, I mean, I think some of it is matchup dependent as much as we think Wolf might be matchup dependent, um, which is that, like, I think Ring and, and Danny with Driussi helps us provide more ability to, in theory, be on the ball and to, and to get out of pressure more, whereas if we're trying to hunker down, I think using Valencia and Ring makes more sense. Um, sure, but, 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 I, if but I don't know, but I don't know how much you can do that. You, if Jerusi's on the field, you would think that opens up some space to get out of that pressure at the back, right? Because the, you, the other team has to I mean, honor I mean, the fact that Jerusi's out there. I mean, yes, but I think we have a lot of matches that we've watched that are contrary. Sir? I mean, do we change shape or we, like, should we change shape? I know we're not going to. Um, and actually move, you know, a little bit closer into that four-two-three-one or something like that. Um <laughs> And you can play, you know, ring and uh, um, Valencia deeper. Christmas tree. Christmas tree. I love the Christmas tree. <laughs> um, I think that's actually better for Agoni too, because it's a little more direct and you're not just, you know, I, he's a winger, but he's not really like a boots on the chalk line um, type of guy. Agreed. He's better, more central where he can run a little bit more, which is why I was kind of part of the – Ragoni as a striker campaign leader, um, <coughs> just just because I think that gets him into better spaces. Yeah. Well, um, I guess do we actually have any like leads on knowing for sure if Drew is going to be back next week, or are Wolf we all said, just being really helpful? No, Wolf said post game that they expect okay. back next week. Okay. And uh, I know, Seth, you had sort of half mentioned the snow news on signings. We had a link, but that guy's going to Charlotte now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liel uh, Abada is going to Charlotte. And Charlotte's paying over $8 million for him. He is good. He has a lot of potential. He would have been an outstanding fit on our team. But $8 million is a lot to spend on a DP. And I think Roto has other things cooking. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I'm even happy with like a rumor with a, you know, kind of Young, talented player on a team that I think they're in Champions League group stage this year. We'll take that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
dude's dude produced at Celtic, right? So at Celtic, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be great if we could have gotten him, but I, you know, we're not out there splashing eight million dollars for a young DP uh, spot right now. That's what it is. Yeah, but I mean, what happens if we, you know, we do splash eight million, and you know, we get somebody else who's, you know, a very similar profile, and then they don't work out, and do we just say like, oh, the player sucks, or it's Wolf Ball, or like, what happens? We have to watch the game and use our eyes to tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, 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 we will have to keep watching the games. Ah, uh, okay. hoping we could get out of that. I don't. We don't have to watch. We just choose masochism. Oh gosh, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, all right, uh, you guys want to go ahead and do the format stuff? Let's go. Yep. All right. Uh, Brad, you can go first. Uh, stock rising. Uh, I've mentioned Biru a couple of times today, but uh, for me, it was Matt Hedges last night. I thought he played a fantastic game. Um, he was in the right spots, made a couple of key plays uh, to make sure the shutout stayed. And um, that's the guy who, when we when we traded for him, that you were hoping to get. And if we get that kind of solid play on the back line from him, when Leo Weissenden is healthy there is a serious question of is Leo Weissen in the starting lineup over Hedges or Cascante if Hedges and Cascante continue to play like they did last night. No, then we do the uh, every Arsenal fan's dream and move a center back into central midfield. Uh, or we play, turn him into a defensive defense midfielder. Or we play a true three at the back with wingers. With wing yeah. Backs. yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Seth, how about you? Um, I'm going to go right across the, um, to Julio Cascante. I mean, Julio Cascante looked like a Costa Rican national team deserving player last night. Like, he is still, yes, is Julio the fastest guy running back on a ball? No. But Julio had, I, I don't think, I almost wish it was like the NBA and we had actual block stats. But it just felt like he was everywhere last night as there was he was getting into the right places at the right times. He was aggressive. He was there. I mean, he was I mean, I would say Jackson Reagan had an outstanding game for the Sounders. So, like, I will give him as the best center back on the field. But Julio was pretty close to him. And Jackson Reagan was everywhere last night. So, you know what? The back line is the nicest thing I could say about um, this past match. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Charles? Uh, my two, my first two got taken. I was going to say Biru. I'll, I'll go uh, Biru then because I, I do see the, the potential there, um, especially the, the technical ability and the on-ball ability. Um, you know, uh, we're all excited to see him be able to have the stamina to play more than, you know, 20 or 25 minutes, which hopefully is very soon, um, partially just because it would, it would be nice to see some changes. Yeah, he had a nice play. I mean, granted, it's in our own, like, back corner where he, like, beat two guys and then cleared it. But it was like, ooh, there's some fancy footwork there. A little yeah, like, uh, I mean, Benito. I mean, yeah, like, I think one of the announcers last week said something about, like, oh, you can really tell, like, he, he's from Brazil and he plays volleyball. And I was like, well, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we also know that because you should have done the homework on, on yeah. uh, where the <laughs> He's got some sauce to him, man. Yeah, yeah, um, and for a team that doesn't have that kind of like on-ball dribbling ability, that's going to be really important. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that's what I mean too. Like maybe like you know he goes rogue and like dribbles past three people and loses the ball and we get scored on. Whatever, we're being bad in a different way. And you know that's kind of what we are uh, our bare minimum is at this point. 
Yeah, um, be tech to tech mid two thousands bad, right? Yeah, just you're, you're not great, but at least be fun. Yeah, just do something <laughs> different. Do something. Classic meme. Um, I'm going to take the other one I had on the board because those are pretty much all of my picks. But um, Valencia, I think, was great again. Um, got the start this week, and uh, you know we're having trouble linking midfield even when he's not in there. So I don't know if his passing is really as much of a liability when the entire midfield, no matter who we pick is a liability. So uh, I think it makes more sense to put the destroyer shielder guy in there. And uh, I think he's done well. I'm going to miss him when he gets his, uh, whatever three game yellow card suspension at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, Stuber had another great game, but we can't really stock rise him anymore after Minnesota. I would put him at more of like a stock neutral. Can we stock split him? Um, I don't know the physics about the uh, MLS contract works on that. Uh, All right, let's go ahead and do uh, stock fallings. I think there's a few good choices here, but uh, Charles, you want to go first? Uh, Sure. Uh, My stock falling is going to be MLS having league-wide announcers. Um, Last night we had uh, Keith Costigan and Laurie Lindsay, and it was very clear that Neither of them had watched previous matches from either team or knew what they were talking about. Um, <laughs> and if you played a played a not even drinking game, like not even doing like shots of mentions, but like if you were just like sipping whatever drink you were on, at every time Keith Costigan mentions Artist's name, you would have blacked out, which might have been preferable. <laughs> I, the worst part about this is that both Keith Costigan and Lori Lindsay have called multiple Austin FC matches before. I was going to say, not, I like, like, that's Costigan on one. What say? I thought I remembered at least Costigan on one. Costigan last year did at least five or six of our matches, including oh. the field, both legs of the field that match. Like he knows that we're terrible. And he sure didn't talk about <laughs> us like we were terrible last night, which is weird. Lori Lindsay was um, Adrian's partner for when he she was calling ESPN games. Um in the twenty one and twenty two. Like, this is not, like, these are people who have seen Austin FC multiple times, and it was like they had selective amnesia. Where can it's I get great... that? Yeah. It'd be really nice yeah, to just, Yeah, like, at uh... one point, like... Go ahead. No, like, at one point, it felt like almost like the FIFA announcer of, like, they say the lines, and then just, like, a name gets put in partway through, and there was just, like, list striker two to play with striker one as an option for a team needing a goal, and that's just kind of what it felt like. You know what I would rather have, and I, I know Brad's a fan of him as well, is our guy George Mattel, who did the call on the Philly Saprisa game in yes. midweek. <laughs> I mean, he was mispronouncing. I mean, he was calling one of the Saprisa players whose last name was East West. He was calling <laughs> Jesus Bueno, Jesus Good. It was outrageous. But this like, man was doing cultural pop culture references left and right. Like It was beautiful. I loved every second of it. Again, bad, but in an interesting way. Can we do that? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm just saying, you guys know, I, I broadcast on the side for sporting events, and I often do games by myself. And for baseball, I did games by myself for years. You say shit to keep yourself entertained in the booth when you're not talking to anyone, man. So I, I love him. it. Keep doing it, man. You and the thing is, that Christmas game wasn't even boring. It was actually really entertaining. Uh, with with eight CCC matches uh, midweek this week, I really hope he gets some calls. I'm now going on to his Twitter profile to see if he is telling us which matches he's going to call. 
because like even if it's like the 4 p.m. Tuesday match between um, Herodiano and Robin Hood from Suriname, it's must-watch TV. I, I would have had way more fun getting our ass kicked by Violet if you had been calling that game last year. Especially because he's Haitian, too. So, like, <laughs> I, he would have had all sorts of backs. Like, it would have been – the amount more that we would have learned about Honky Honk alone would have been <laughs> – It would have been worth it. <laughs> I love that, by the way, you could say Honky Honk, and that song immediately pops in my head, and I know the beat. Yep. So be there forever. The other thing here that, that was... I'm going to share with you is that the Philly Union Twitter admin did a map of George's call of his brain. I I'm going to uh, put this in our non-existent show notes here, uh, but it was uh, pretty it's spectacular. Hey, if you send it to me, I'll put it in the show notes. They do exist. I will. I'm going Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I laughed my ass off at it. Good. All right. That's well, the one that's... thing I will say about MLS. The admins are, for the most part, pretty good. Like the, the Twitter admins and the Instagram admins, they're, they're solid. Yeah. St. Louis City put out a bunch of like pro US Open Cup stuff this week and had a bunch of people send me it. And I was like, oh, sure. Admins did anything interesting. No, we, we, might, get get a, the, uh... we might get a drone video every once in a while. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, our admins put out pretty stuff, but it's not funny. Yeah, I went to like Domino's UK people, or uh, I think Wendy's is a pretty good one too. Something I need to eat lunch. Uh, <laughs> uh, Seth, do you want to do your uh, stock falling? My stock falling would be um, the uh, United States Soccer Federation for the Open yeah. Cup fiasco that we have here. I mean, there's too many Austin FC related choices, but we've spent. 45 to 50 minutes covering everyone outside of the back line and why they did a terrible job yesterday. Um, so as we go into this point, um, on Friday and then yesterday, they um, announced the um, 64 slash 96 teams that are in the first round and overall in U.S. Open Cup. They um, mandated that MLS could only have eight full teams because uh, that's what MLS demanded of them because they were afraid of a multi-year legal battle, which U.S. soccer is already in the middle of a huge legal battle over the NASL and um, licensing. So they're just like, we're not going to go fight this. They caved into MLS and U.S. soccer should have held firm when they are actually apparently have a better plan for this. Uh, I will say the draw has led to the potential to do one of the most sicko things of all time, which I am openly considering doing here in two and a half weeks. If going, There are two open cut matches in Chicagoland, one that is at 6 o'clock on Wednesday, one that is at 7 o'clock. And I think the 6 o'clock one has the potential to be a blowout. So the possibility of going to the first half of one match, driving a half hour to the second match, and going to see the mo- the second 60 or so minutes of that match. That's going to be a legend. Yeah. But didn't yeah. people go to like the FC toe match and an Austin FC match in the same day in like Dallas and Austin last year? Yeah, uh, uh, Leslie and David did that. Okay, that's what I thought. That was the day where there was a crazy thunderstorm. So like they mm-hmm. ended up making it to call like three hours, like a half hour into the normal time match, but then that match didn't start till like eleven thirty. Yeah, that was that. That was the Galaxy game. Yeah. 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 Um, the yeah. giving up two goals at 1 a.m. Yes. I'm very, like, as much as I'm pissed about the way the Open Cup's happening, I am excited to be at Parmer for F- FC2. So we'll go watch that because I care about that tournament and that's actually one that I want to go see. 
I have no idea though what a 40 SC is or whatever the hell their name is. 40 SC, <laughs> they are a club that is from Dallas proper. It's sort of like a Lone Star type group that they are a as 40 Sports Club Dallas about us page. Um, you can go see. They are is a lifestyle anchor. Oh, this feels like marketing buzzwords out of is a lifestyle anchor to retail and residential developments. FSC offers league play, rental skills, camps, tournaments, fitness, hospitality, and entertainment. Two pro quality playing surfaces, multi sport all weather. They offer look. They are a like they run this whole initiative and that they have a La Liga Academy. And that is, they're the official La Liga Academy, and they're trying to develop young players to go sell them abroad, to go finance their rec sports program. But if so I have like my a... birthday there, do they have go-karts? They have, at their facility, do they have, I see multiple football facilities. I see six courts. I do not see any go-karting. This but sounds like I, the crossover in Leander. A little bit, Yeah. So it should be a fun Sorry, time. This, sounds, this, this really sounds like an MLM that somebody like I didn't really talk to in high school sent me on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but um, I hope we beat them. Um, I hope that we get to beat the Lubbock Matadors at some point because um, there's nothing good that happens up in the panhandle. Even though I know Lubbock people insist that they're not part of the panhandle. They're part of the panhandle. Um, that <laughs> there's a... Um, and as going through this, I, I, I hope that we can make a deep run into this tournament. And I'll say FCTO, unlike the first team, is undefeated in uh, playoff-style knockout tournaments. It's true. It's true. And uh, so this is Tuesday, March 19th at Farmer Field, 8 p.m. confirmed? 8 p.m. Yeah. confirmed. Uncle- I assume it'll probably be like $12 tickets, just like a normal FCTO I, match. Um, I cannot wait to heckle some random dude from 4-0. This is going to be a blast. Yeah. Oh, Caitlin Clark just missed the logo three to break the NCAA scoring record. She's two points short, and it looks like it's going to go into the second half on this challenge here. All right. Um, you get to learn about all sorts of sports here on this podcast. Yeah, anything to avoid talking about an Austin FC game. <laughs> <laughs> Stock falling, Brad, how about you? <laughs> Uh, MLS kit matchups because for the first 45 minutes, I couldn't tell who was what. Yeah, I last night. The I don't know if this also, is like the gradient on like the Apple feed is really weird. Like every other sport, I have perfectly fine, and like the greens are too bright or something on the way they set everything. And I'm not gonna like fuck with my TV every time I watch those games. Well, if you ever play FIFA, occasionally the game will default to like a white kit versus white kit matchup and you're not paying attention yes. and it'll happen. And that's basically what I was watching last night where I couldn't tell like half the time who was what it was really hard to pay attention. Yeah. Also, I might they'll... be the only one who thinks this, but I think those Portland kits are bad. You mean the C- Seattle kits? I'm sorry, the Seattle kits. I thought the Seattle kits. Yeah. I, I think the Seattle kits don't actually like those colors don't flow together in that way. I, I, I'm not a fan. I think they're the rare example of a kit that actually looks worse on players than it did in like the mock-up. <laughs> I think it looks great in the still pictures that I'm yeah. looking at. It's it terrible on TV. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because you're playing on like a grass field or you know turf or whatever that's green, but I'm with you. I like the concept, and then I saw them in the game, and I was just like, oh, those aren't great. 
fashion tips, all sorts of other non-Austin FC sports. We got it all for you here. <laughs> um, my stock falling is every MLS game that isn't played in a driving blizzard with an orange ball. Uh, <laughs> that uh it reminded me of the uh sorry costa rica uh listeners trigger warning the uh, snow classico um and it didn't hurt that like this game probably should have never kicked off and then once they started it they well, clearly uh, um couldn't abandon it because there was no way the uh <laughs> sorry the uh, i didn't think there was any way unless you got a phone call from the league the replacement ref was going to call it off here's what's so wild before that, they were predicting like 30 to 40 mile an hour winds with gusts up to 65 during the game. And then they let the most of it come through. It was still windy as hell. And then the snow started. Um, have you seen the LAFC and Terondolo, um quotes today coming out of yesterday? Uh, yes. I saw like a vague, this is embarrassing for the sport, yada, yada, yada stuff. They are pissed off. Good. It's hilarious. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer group of assholes. Uh, yeah, I guess LAFC losing that game three to nothing definitely helped too. Hugo Lloris is just questioning every decision he's made in the last year. So I asked this and nobody's been able to answer me. I don't think he's ever won a club trophy. Because he was at... Oh, did, did, uh, he, did, he, did he not win the um, Audi Cup? Oh, he did win the, the vaunted Audi Cup. I forgot about yes. that. Okay. So um, not a major trophy, I guess. Is how we would say it. The oh, thing Ohio State got a technical foul, so Kate Clark did break the scoring record before halftime. You heard it Perfect. here, history, folks. <laughs> now, the thing that I thought was weird about playing the match was that, like, they were playing in the afternoon. Like, they could have just like waited. Like, I didn't understand why, like, they felt like it just to start that match exactly then. Uh, because probably the scabs had flights to catch out of Salt Lake that night. Could have been that, and the weather was getting worse as the game went on, so maybe it was just a, this is the best time we're possibly going to get this fit in here. Yeah, and it's like, it's going to get colder, and I don't know necessarily snowier, but it's, the conditions aren't going to improve, and the people are already at the stadium. And yeah. you don't want to, like, when you get to yeah. that level of snow, you don't want to send people on the roads even later. That's not a good idea. Yeah, they clearly scheduled the game in the early afternoon because Salt Lake City in March 2nd, this can happen. But I mean, we played there last year at 7.30 on March, I think, like, 10th or something. So, yeah. And it was cold, but it wasn't anything else. I actually think last night's match, I was uh, just checking in with some people who were there, was the coldest match that Austin FC has ever played in team history. It was about hmm. 37 degrees last night, which was slightly colder than the FC Cincinnati home opener two years ago. Hmm. Uh the by the way, in Salt Lake, looking at the weather right now, there's it's still snowing apparently. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good for them. Good for them. Um, Seth, you want to lead us off with your moment of suffering? Um, biggest moment of suffering, I would say, was that uh, the Rui Diaz crossbar there of like. In a weird way, I'm like, obviously, I'm glad we got the point. Like, I like our goal is to achieve as many points as possible. But I was just like, oh, gosh, he comes in, hits the crossbar that quickly. This is going to be 3-0. Like, we held on, we held on. Like, and then they're like, because I feel like if Seattle had scored last night, they would not have just scored one. They would have scored at least three goals because, like, our defense would not have held it together. But yeah, that very much felt like a give up one, give up four type of game. Yes. 
All right. Uh, so I'm going to go next since mine's kind of related. It's when they sub Rui Diaz on. Because <laughs> I do remember the the children's game, although that was here, where he just came on, scores a, a wonder goal, and that's the only thing that, that went for them, and they won that game. And I was just like, this guy's going to find some way to dagger it for us. And uh, he almost did. But uh, it wasn't to be. Charles, how about you? Uh, my moment of suffering was actually uh, this morning where the United men and women were both up 1-0 and managed to give up equalizer goals within three minutes of each other. That's a fun morning. Uh, which, is really, which is really an incredible achievement uh, for both of them. Well, they're in sync. It's one club. They share a mission, right? It's even funnier because the women's game started 30 minutes before the men's game did. And so, like, theirs was in, like, the 88th minute, I think, that they gave the equalizer. Um, so at least then they didn't have to like have the the problem the men had of just eventually it was just gonna turn around completely. Yeah. One nil to the arsenal this morning. Um Brad, how about you? A moment of suffering. Um so mine was uh Austin FC two plus corners in each half was even money last night. And uh, 20 minutes into the game, when you realize you're not even going to get a corner in half, that 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 hurts pretty pretty bad. So, okay, <laughs> we're just going to start awesome. doing all esoteric ones of these now, aren't we? Huh? We're just going to all start doing esoteric ones of these now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, realistically, it was the other one was Josh Wolf not getting a red card because I was so happy when he got a yellow. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, more of that, please, was- Josh. I was really hoping he was going to get a red because I think the team might have started playing better. <laughs> yeah. He gets, um, uh, well, he knows he can't get sent off because then if we come back, people are going to be like, Davey or no, yeah. a better coach. Honestly, and, and the reason I think it's all esoteric for me today, it's, it's because if you really want to talk about the game, moment of suffering, it's the whole thing. Yeah, it's the game. <laughs> uh, see, I think the specific moment of suffering was there's a moment in the first half when. Austin Early kind of on the counter, and Rigoni's dribbling the ball through the middle, and he lays off a pass to Ring, who just doesn't run for it. And then both of them yelling oh, each other. <laughs> yes, and Ring, and, had, a, and Ring seemed, had a freaking valley to go through, too. And it, and it seemed really clear that, like, what had happened was Ring had specifically been told not to, like, venture too far forward. <laughs> um, and I think that's, like, the actual moment of suffering from <laughs> from the match. I forgot so, about so that we do we think that we're going to have a match this year where we will not have a majority of it be moments of suffering? We'll find one. We got one like randomly good game out of nowhere in us, I'm sure. I mean, I said that before the opener. We're not yeah. losing that many people to Copa America, right? There's got to be some players, some guys. Are, some or, I mean, Houston, like, the one thing is, I guess we do need to continue our streak of winning every single match against Houston at home. Yes. Yeah. And we need to take home the greatest trophy in the world again. Yes. So. Yeah, both of those both of those teams lost at home last night, by the way. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Um, Did we ever Montreal get a format on, on uh, Copa Tejas? No, no, we have not gotten a format on Copa Tejas. They're more disorganized than MLS. Yeah. Montreal is surprisingly interesting. So um especially after going down and getting that da- and beating Dallas. Like they've gone on the road back to back weeks now and gotten up point in Orlando and three points in Dallas. Yeah, well, I'm going to see Montreal here in Chicago on the 16th for a game that has like world epic shit show level um, 
proportion um, ability because it is going to be a 1 p.m. kickoff on Chicago St. Patrick's Day. Oh, my oh. God. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God is like, <laughs> oh, like there could be like, honestly, like putting a um, just like random drunk people stumbling into the stadium camera. Um, like if, if Apple doesn't have that going, like that should that that could be our fun to pay for the refs. There you go. Yeah, that would get, if not all the way there, a decent chunk of the way there. I need to come to Chicago for that one time. Yeah. Have you been here for St. Patrick's Day before? No, I've done St. Patrick's Day in Savannah, Georgia, which doesn't sound crazy, but it's actually pretty damn wild. Um, Got to see both the Green Rivers. No, Chicago does the Green Rivers. Savannah doesn't. But Savannah, if you know the town, they have this cobblestone walk area called River Street downtown. Yeah. Um, and it's all open wall, open container. It is shoulder to shoulder people the entire time. It's a complete shit show, but I have never done Chicago. So I, I got to make a point to come up there one year for this. Yeah, no, it is a, um, like most, a lot of bars don't even stay open past four or five o'clock because people start drinking at 6am. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be that way in the Midwest. Like when I lived in Michigan, it was that way. Bars open really early and just went all day long. Yeah, that's how uh, Mardi Gras in St. Louis always was. Uh, I, the, the most depressing St. Patrick's Day I can ever remember, though, was funny. Uh, my first St. Patrick's Day living in Michigan, and I, and I lived right next to Michigan State, and they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament on St. Patty's Day. Ooh. While people were at the bar just celebrating and drinking. Oh, my gosh, man, it turned bad real quick. <laughs> well, I guess everyone's always wearing green there anyways, so like, yeah, that exactly. makes it even more confusing. Yeah. All right. I did find it, by the way. Apparently, Savannah was the first city to try to dye its river, and it all washed out into the sea. So now they just dye mountains. Yeah. It, if somebody Stop ever about a you, metaphor with Austin FC, man, if somebody ever tells you, "Hey, I'm, let's go to Savannah for St. Patty's," just do it. Like it's it's really insane. I think it's like the third or fourth largest celebration in the country of all places in the country. Yeah, I knew they had a big uh, setup there, but I wasn't sure if it was just like randomly, if there was like a huge Irish population or if it was just a random I mean, thing. there were people like I ran into who had flown in from around the world for it. Damn. Yeah. That's a choice. Yeah. But I guess it's on a Saturday this week too, or this year too. So extra Is it a fun. Or a Sunday? Sunday it's, a Sunday. it's a Sunday this year. Okay. So yeah. I'm sure yeah, everyone Sunday. will be in church beforehand. Yes, of course. Don't forget the true meaning of St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Because Americans would never do that. Never. All right. Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on since we're talking about St. Patrick's Day in Savannah, Georgia? It probably means we should go ahead and wrap this up. <laughs> you know what? I, I hope that we are blessed with an opportunity in the next month or so to talk about a match where we actually got three points and we want to spend a majority of this podcast talking about said match. Yeah. yeah, I think we, we danced around it, but I don't think anyone said it this week. What's going to be our tagline for the for the year? It's going to be a long season. Um, but, hey, we're glad you're with us. And uh, as always, thanks for suffering with us. Bonus here for Austin Jarrett Stroud. It's Diego for goodness! He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just won't go away. Oh, it's the upright again! It's impossible! The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory. 